Hello and welcome to Betfair's Rugby World Cup Rugby Only Better podcast. I'm joined by Gavin Casey of the 42.ie and Tim Cocker of the Egg Chasers podcast and of course of Talk Sport to look ahead to one of the biggest tournaments that we will see this year. Guys, before I talk to you, I just want to give everyone out there a little shout out of some of the prices. Winner, New Zealand, 12 to 5. France have been favourites for most of this Rugby World Cup cycle, uh, but are now 12 to 5 uh, for New Zealand. France, 3 to 1. Ireland, 9 to 2. South Africa, 5 to 1. England, 10 to 1. Australia, 10 to 1. 20s bar. Slight difference of opinion on some of that on the exchange, which has South Africa just a little bit ahead of Ireland and New Zealand and France just a little bit closer. But we're going to look at the pools. We're going to look at our outright winner, a couple of dark horses. A reminder, of course, that there will be plenty of odds boosts uh, up on site uh, during the weekends where England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales are playing. And, and keep an eye out for those super boosts, which I'm told by the traders will be very, very good. But they don't let me know exactly what they'll be. because it's all, it's all cloak and dagger stuff until it, it absolutely comes out. Um, we'll talk with what you're obviously both of you are, are experts in all things rugby but Gavin you'd be well known for following the Ireland team Tim of course for, for, for England uh, so Gavin I'm, go- I'm going to come to you for Ireland where they are how you're feeling what you expect and you've you, now you've only got a couple of minutes so I can't speak at great length about the psychological torture of going into a rugby world cup as an Ireland fan and how I'm feeling personally is actually tortured because of the damage we've uh, had inflicted upon us in past iterations of the tournament. And really, I have no reason to feel that way because Ireland are a fundamentally really good team coming into this tournament. They just reeled off their 16th home win in a row. They're Grand Slam champions. They're the number one ranked team in the world. And they seem to be a match for anybody. I suppose uh, we've never had an Ireland team go into a Rugby World Cup in such good nick across the board in terms of uh, team environment, in terms of, I would say, conditioning, in terms of the squad depth, just the actual Mm. depth chart in every position. It's something that we've been striving for for uh, probably three World Cup cycles to get that right. And it feels as though there there is sufficient depth there now where if you lose a, a key player, the next man up can do 90% as good a job, which might be enough. But you look at that draw, and we're probably going to chat about it organically as it comes up when we're going through the mm. pools, etc. It's one of the cruelest World Cup draws that has ever exactly. been. I don't made. see the problem. I don't see the issue. Funny that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Uh, listen, you could say the exact same for uh, South Africa, for New Zealand, for France, arguably Scotland as well. They There's, feeling it, yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's such a bottleneck between those two pools that ultimately you couldn't go into the World Cup like brimming with confidence, I don't believe. But for sure, it's the best Ireland team we've seen in the professional era. And for sure, they're better set than ever to actually break the duck and make it beyond a quarterfinal. Yeah, and, and and Tim Gab mentions a lot there about this, this word we use a lot, which is Rugby World Cup cycle, like Ireland were kind of building up. England, on the other hand, I mean, you, you could probably say that at the early stages of the, the cycle, they maybe t- take some of the Six Nations quite seriously and they ended up finishing like quite low down. And now they find themselves in a, in a slight bit of a slight bit of a mess but on a, a favourable side of the draw, so who knows? Yeah, it's worth actually just reflecting when you look at England. 12 of the, the players that started the last World Cup final were, well, Anthony Watson's now injured, but were in the England squad and and were likely to all start if they were all fit and available. And when you think of that, and they were the youngest team ever to play in a World Cup final four years ago, so you're thinking, well, everything's set. And if you could write a script, if it was a movie script and you were saying, right, just put in as many plot lines as you can that just 
tank this team. We've ticked every single box. It just keeps sinking and sinking to the point where I'm almost at the opposite place that Gav's at, where the expectations are so low that I'm just <laughs> genuinely I kind of just a, 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 a passenger where I'm putting my sort of English patriotism to one side and going, I just want to enjoy an amazing World Cup, which I genuinely think it will be. Yeah. And if England, because of the draw you mentioned, fluke their way to a semi-final, well, I'll, I'll take it. But see, the funny thing is about, about, about the prices for this, it's so crazy because all those teams you mentioned, New Zealand, France and Ireland, South Africa are at the top four in the betting. So, and, and they're not going to make a final, all of them. If you, you know, like, like someone from England, Australia, Argentina and Wales are going to be there. Like, so so you've, you've got a price of 10s or 20s even about a side who realistically have to make a final based on the skewed draw. Yeah, you could come back to France, New Zealand, the way it could shake out at the semi-final stage. And I actually think that might be the final as it transpires. So you're bookending the tournament with a, a marquee fixture, potentially, which is a, a salivating prospect as a neutral or as somebody like Tim, who's just going in and going to enjoy the tournament um, for what it is. I think the interesting thing, looking at the odds in terms of uh, like who is outright favourite at the moment, like it being New Zealand, considering France have been earmarked as the champions of their home tournament for the last three years and 11 months and they have done pretty much everything right under Fabien Galtier uh, in, uh, including I would say going back to the start of his reign appointing people like Sean Edwards appointed people like Vlock Silliers who's transformed their kicking game made them a more fundamentally sound team without necessarily losing the, the joie de vivre and the jouet that France rugby is famous for like they're a complete team with a frightening squad. Like you could reel off the names even that start against uh, Australia in their last warm-up game and it's extraordinary. And yet you have New Zealand who are an absolute rabble just over 12 months ago have eclipsed them as the bookies' favourites and a lot of people's favourites to win the tournament. It just goes to show how quickly things can change. You hark back to the last World Cup, by the way, and South Africa were in a similar boat as New Zealand and went on to win the whole thing. They uh, switched coaches and, and really transformed their setup 12 months out from the tournament. So for all we talk about cycles, preparing through the lens of a, a four-year period can be overdone as well. Yeah, and best laid well, plans. Ireland have probably yeah. been most foul of that. Right. And like, yeah, and look... We've probably followed a similar formula Ireland this time around in that it has been a four-year plan. But the first 18 months to two years of that plan, it seemed as though it wasn't going to work. Exactly yeah, that. That's yeah, what I was thinking yeah, when yeah. you talk about the coaching, the the fact that there were people within Ireland going, I'm not sure about Andy Farrell. He's got Mike Cat in Definitely. now. What's what's going on? Well, there's a bit of a wobble. And as you say, um, there's been other nations that have, that have had a wobble. New Zealand to go back a year and their fans were saying, I don't think Ian Foster's the man. He's brought some different personnel in and that seems to have worked. England made the change. I was there at Twickenham for the game against South Africa. I've never heard Twickenham like it. Booze. And I thought, right, well, it probably has gone too far. But there, I, I imagine there's probably some England fans going, bad as he was, maybe we should have seen this Eddie Jones four-year thing through. We'll see in France whether that was the case or not. You know what's funny about that is I bet you there are a lot of Australia fans sitting at home thinking, you know what, bad as the results were, maybe we should have let Dave Rennie take the reins <laughs> into this World yeah. Cup. Yeah. yeah. Um, to move away then from, from some of the ones who are at top, top of the market to uh, Wales and Scotland, because they are about 30 to 1. Um, I guess with Scotland, yeah, it's, it's the cruel nature of, of the draw. I mean, they're fifth, fifth in the world. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose it doesn't really matter. Like, Scotland are Scotland, and they have a place in all of our hearts as being plucky underdogs who, when they sort of uh, achieve a result that goes beyond par for them, they tend to relapse pretty quickly afterwards in a game where you you expect them to win and launch a Six Nations title charge, and they just flatter to deceive the second week around. But, that, like, sorry, that's to generalise. Like, I'm not saying that that's going to happen to them again. They've been shafted by the draw. Let's not make any bones about it. Like, to be landed in with Ireland again and to get the world champions on top of that and to face a prospective quarterfinal against either France and Rank New Zealand. fifth in the world going into the World Cup. Right. It's brutal. So, but what I would say with Scotland this time around and where I would be a little bit fearful of them as an Ireland fan, which Irish listeners might sound or might find strange to hear like we're not generally concerned by them and even when they do seem to have seem to present themselves as a looming threat to ireland again they don't tend to turn up against ireland the most recent six nations game i mean as an ireland fan was one of my favorite irish victories ever because of the circumstances within it where you had josh van der fleer throwing into a line out you'd keen healy at hooker i mean it was there for scotland if they wanted it and they couldn't take it and this is a long-winded way of saying i i think scotland have suffered such trauma over the years, but particularly even under Gregor Townsend, when it's felt uh, for periods that they've been a coming force only to be, for it to be proven otherwise. And because the Scottish Rugby Football Union pretty much went to the market to try and find a replacement for Townsend last year, I think he's looking at this as a free hit. And yeah. you look at the way he's repaired his relationship with Finn Russell, for example, they seem to be best buddies now. Finn Russell's playing outrageous ball for Scotland from what I've seen of them in the summer. I always think when you see Finn Russell whip his top off at the end of a game, you know he's on it because he's not always necessarily willing to do it. Uh, he's a guy who enjoys his life, right? But when he's, yeah. when he's feeling confident, you're like, ooh, they, oh. could be, they could be dangerous. And honestly, they're going into it. So when you have a team like that who are going into what could be Finn Russell's last World Cup, you don't know, what could be Gregor Townsend's uh, final World Cup as head coach. Uh, they're without Stuart Hogg, we didn't even mention who retired at, at, like only months in advance of the tournament. They have nothing to lose. Uh, they probably haven't been, haven't necessarily been top of South Africa's radar or Ireland's radar. Um, although the South Africans might tell you otherwise in that they know once you beat Scotland, you're through and Ireland should be thinking that as well. I think they're a danger. And they're, they, the, just to finish on like Townsend and the way they're playing, it felt for a while, Tim, last year and maybe for 18 months or so, they'd gone to a more structured game that didn't really suit them. And yeah. it seemed like a lot of the joy that I found watching Scotland as a neutral had been sapped out of me and, and certainly out of Scottish fans. But they're straight back to playing yeah. Harlem Globetrotters rugby and, and at the I moment. I think like England 2007, there was that kind of internal mutiny uh, which got them to a World Cup final. I think it happened with France. It might have been 2011. I can't remember the year, but there was that. I think there's been almost a passive mutiny actually. I think there's an element where Gregor Townsend gone, okay, Finn, it's your team, fine. And he's probably rightly identified that that is the best chance for everyone to succeed. Interesting. If, riddle me this right, Scotland shocks South Africa, is that a good or a bad thing for Ireland? I'd say it's immaterial because Ireland, like... Hmm. But then Ireland would meet South Africa. South Africa would know a, a defeat would possibly put them out of the tournament. Whereas Ireland would not be out of tournament with a defeat. True, but once Ireland, like in that situation, Ireland's focus should still be on just beating Scotland. If you beat Scotland, you're still through. Like there's no, you look at the uh, potential quarterfinal for Ireland and it's either the favourites or the second favourites. And the second favourites, by the way, are the host nation. So you're going to be playing them in front of 
a partisan crowd. Which would you think would be better to play? The All Blacks? That's, that's, that's what I want to know from France. an Irishman. I no, Regardless of the result of the France-New Zealand game, which is the, the tournament curtain raiser, I would prefer to play New Zealand in the quarterfinal yeah, as an Irish rugby fan. Mm, now, I, right, I, yeah. I, do, do, to be honest, the only reason I say that is because uh, it's, it's actually a boring answer, but I think playing the hosts when they're as good as France are at that stage of the tournament where they're unlikely to have picked up significant damage in the pool stage, they'll be at pretty much full strength. Uh, it's, it's too dangerous. I, think, I, I do think New Zealand are an unbelievable team and I have an awful feeling that Joe Schmidt will find a sort of a poetic ending to his relationship with Ireland by dumping us out of the quarterfinal again. But avoiding the I would avoid avoid the hosts at all costs if you meet them later in the tournament the pressure on them is ramped up the, to an unbelievable degree the flip degree. side is there's still a bunch of players in that New Zealand team that have won a World Cup been there yeah. done it and France have got all the pressure just as an Englishman pressure home World Cup expectation can do funny things to mm. the psyche of a player and a squad so no French player has won a World Cup they've it's got the best player in the world they've got a class act so there's no question but yeah well if you were so you were interested in the irish perspective on that like if you were in an irish person's shoes are you saying you'd rather play france in a quarterfinal if ireland made it no i, I can't split it, I, <laughs> yeah, I, no, it is, i'm glad it's, it's not a call i have to make right? yeah, it's, yeah. it's pick your poison you're absolutely right yeah brutal i just think it's if you brutal. met it no you could only meet them again i guess in a final but like and that's very ambitious but you know, at that point, the expectation in France, where these guys are mm. going to be either locked away in hotels or <laughs> risking walking down the road and having, you know, the weight of a nation mm. on top of them. I'd rather play France at that stage than in a quarterfinal. I personally. like that logic. Yeah. And of course, we, we get on Wales, but of course, the, there might be an element of if Ireland win a quarterfinal, they'll be like, Whew, at least we've done that. <laughs> well, whoever <laughs> Ireland semi, if, if Ireland won a quarterfinal, whoever our semi-final opponents are, would be licking their lips. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Wales. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, well, I think shambles. It's what I think. The, <laughs> and so I didn't set anything up mm, there. I just Wales. And this is uh, and this goes for every team that's doing well and every team that's, that's a bit of a mess England, Wales and uh, Wales definitely in this camp the, the whole picture is a, is a mess the domestic competition and, and teams the the coaching that the unions is, it's just everything is just a mess and somehow the one thing you get with Warren Gatland which it didn't look like we were going to get when we were looking back at the Six Nations but his phrase that he always uses is be the best at the things that require no skill so they're going to turn up fit as a butcher's dog, they're gonna turn up organised, and that and th and that means they're gonna be in with the shouting games. And that you know the South Africa game in the last World Cup, you know they kept that so tight against the team that went on and spanked England in the final. And I, I fully expect whatever fifteen take for the field for Wales, and I don't think even Warren Gatland knows that at this point. Uh, they are gonna they're gonna be in with a shout come sixty minutes, and then nerves jangle. That's if they get out of their pool, of course, which is no gimme. Yeah, but again, if they like, they if you're a West player sitting back, and again, you're thinking, right, we're we're on the correct side here. So, you know, you're having meetings, and you're like, come on, lads, all we got to do is get out of our pool. If I was a Welsh player, I wouldn't be thinking more than a day in front of me at a time. <laughs> no, but even within the context of their pool, because I genuinely, I think Fiji could be one of the stories of the tournament. And I think they're a live danger to Wales. I actually think they're a live danger to Australia in that pool as well. And then you have Georgia who beat Wales in November and embarrassed them in Cardiff. 
So as much as, yes, they're on the right side of the uh, World Cup draw, theoretically, the pool is landmine hopscotch for Wales, given the state they're in at the moment. And of course, the pricing represents that. They're 30 to 1, like it's sort of the same price as Scotland when you consider the route Scotland would have to take. It's funny, isn't it? Because like I would have said Scotland are just, yeah, but it is actually, it does fully come down to the route, doesn't it? You've just, yeah. you, you've outlined it like Scotland are a far, far superior side to Wales. They've proved that in recent times. Um, like I would say Wales are a, at serious risk of not even having to worry about a quarterfinal personally. You, obviously, you'd say the same for Scotland, but only because of their pool. With Wales, it'd be because of, uh, well, all of the fundamental fundamental issues in the Welsh game that uh, Tim has outlined. Um, we'll go on to the pools and have a little quick tr- run through them. Uh, quickly, though, I suppose we should mention, and we have spoken about South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, we haven't really touched on, but um, it, how do you feel about the fact that obviously the rugby championship has only just ended and we see us, uh, South Africa and the All Blacks playing each other and really putting out huge, basically their first starting teams, essentially. And then you look at, say, Ireland will not, you know, Johnny Sexton, possibly he mightn't play some of the group stages. Um, England are, are starting to rest players. So are, is it better to come into it battled hardened or battle weary? I mean, it's, it, I'm unsure who's done the right thing here. I guess we won't find out until the games start. I don't think New Zealand had a choice with picking going full bore in this game because it would have been a month yeah. between their last game and the first World Cup game. So I don't think they had a choice. And I mean, it's the biggest rivalry in the sport, the two most decorated teams. So it, it's worthy of being a World Cup curtain raiser in its own right. And I'm, I'm re- at least I'm excited for any England fan that goes along to Twickenham that they're going to get two teams that, that play rugby in that one. Uh, there's going to be injuries. Engl- England have seen that already. Um, Intermac for France as well. There are going to be injuries. That's the that's the big concern when you have two rivals like this going head to head. But it's the nature of the sport, and I, I think because both teams have massive games round one. That's it. Is that, is that what so you, think? you, if you look at if you contrast say New Zealand's uh, pool, they open against France. Now for them. It doesn't especially matter as to whether or not they top their pool because it, it's either Ireland, South Africa or Scotland on the other side. But the Kiwis are probably looking at Ireland's pool thinking South Africa will edge Ireland. We want to get Ireland in a quarterfinal final ideally. But really, they also know that they can beat South Africa if it comes to it. Um, so they're fully loaded in advance of the tournament so that they can be like hit the ground running against France sort of regardless of the result but just look good like you don't want to go and, and play France at the start of France and lose by 15 17 points and suddenly everybody back home is like well we've made a hames of it again but if you look at Ireland's pool by contrast Ireland have such a soft launch really like they're soft launching their tournament in the sense that you start with Romania who are one of the worst teams in the tournament you can rest as many players as you like for that uh, and it, it incrementally increases in difficulty so like you you're sort of looking to as in you'll have the opportunity to sort of gain fitness and uh, match readiness as you go through the pool uh, ahead of those crunch games with scotland and south africa so for example england open with argentina and japan yeah. and england were pretty much fully loaded at Lansdowne road so i think it depends on the order of your fixtures in the pool the extent to which you use your england front liners. Four, four warm-up games as well so yeah. i think the, the clearly was the intention Ireland in Dublin was the big one. That was going to be where the the first team was nailed down and it didn't go well. So now we're looking at Fiji and scratching our head a little bit. Because uh, it's just that it's just that worry of an injury, which we've seen, as we said. You know, it's just this, like it, there's, there's there's a line between getting match fit 
and these are professional players, you know, that, that should, you know, their fitness is there to the worry of someone going down. And we've seen it like with, with all the teams and, and even recently they had a big scare with Sheehan and stuff like that. Like, I mean, if we lose him, you're like, well, who's going to play at times? It's just, yeah, it's a minefield. But Intermac was, I'll just make that point, Intermac's injury was in training. So mm-hmm. it's... Yeah, it can happen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Happen. Yeah. Um, before we do the pools, last one. Mm. England, Argentina. In this building, which is Betfair's, this is the Betfair bunker we're in right now, filming, but but uh, in this building, I'm told that Argentina are a great bet by the people who make the said odds that Argentina are a great bet to beat England. I don't think you can argue with that. They've beaten... That's the end of the pod. <laughs> they've, they've beaten the Southern Hemisphere teams uh, and those are all infinitely better teams. Well, no, not Australia, but New Zealand and South Africa are infinitely better teams than England. They've got the matchup works. They, they did it in the autumn. They'll feel very confident and, and they should, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing that from England's point of view because of the pulls that we talked about a lot. It's just a free hit for England. Hopefully we can freakily gather some form. Okay, let's let's quickly chat pool winners. Okay, yeah. uh, we'll start with a uh, pool A: New Zealand, France, Italy, Uruguay, Namibia. Uh, New Zealand are four to five. France are ten to eleven. Obviously, in most of these groups, you know it's it's between two. There are one, but three. Um, and I, I guess again that's flip flop. And I'm actually just looking because pool winner B is flip flop now because South Africa are favourites in sports book as well. But we get to that. But New Zealand four to five. France are ten to eleven. The way Ireland are worried about who they play, you kind of implied that the All Blacks won't. Will France be worried about where they land? Like, will they be gung ho to win this, or are they trying to plot a course? I think France will want to just win every game. Again, just their public will be out in, in force to support them. You're not going to show up to New Zealand uh, an opening game against New Zealand at your home World Cup and shadow box. Yeah. I don't think they're going to hold back like too many set plays in that game. It won't be like a warm-up game for them. I think they have an opportunity to make a statement against the guys who have just overtaken them as favourites to win their competition, if you like. So it's a massive chance for them. It, like Tim mentioned, Endemac's injury, and I, I haven't been following the, the odds um, live necessarily over the last few weeks, but like I wonder the extent to which Endemac's absence has actually influenced that a little bit as well. Yeah, you'd have to think it had a yeah, major uh, part. Yeah. And that's probably the only thing where I think, you, or, or the only area where you can get at France, not on the field, but just even observing them on paper as a squad. Like I actually think uh, Matthew Jalabert is equally a, as good a player as Entomac, but it's just that he hasn't had the same number of reps. I was going to say, arguably Entomac. Cyril Bai, who will be involved in the World Cup, but is injured, will, won't be available for the New Zealand game. Arguably, that's a bigger... Yeah. And particularly when New Zealand got a really strong front row. But the New Zealand have got the memory of four years ago of you know wiping the floor with an opponent who then went on and won the World Cup. So four years ago demonstrated that this game it, you're right it's just about confidence but it, it will it, it's, it's unfortunately ultimately probably meaningless for the for the whole cup tournament as a whole and I think you're right when you say it could bookend be the same fixture start and end yeah so obviously the rest of the two not to call them cannon fodder but yeah. that, that's basically what it is I suppose. No, like so, it, it, Italy will give I think it, I could see Italy giving France a game because France would probably rest a couple of guys you know like probably similar to some of their Six Nations fixtures in recent years there mm. might be only 12 or 15 points in it like I mean mm. a game in the sense that it'll be competitive for an hour just I think Italy are, are worth a mention because obviously they've, they're a lot better aside than they would have been even going into the last yeah. World Cup and previous iterations but in terms of who tops that pool 
New Zealand are, are favourites to do it, and that means, and, and understandably, because they're favourites to beat France opening night. I see it the other way around, personally, I still. I do. I think France win that game and France top that pool. So you're, you think, who do you think will win the opening game? I think France will win it. Okay. I do. To France. Well, then France top the group. For yeah. example, guys. Yeah. 10 to 11. Brilliant. Pool winner uh, be South Africa, Ireland, Scotland, Tonga, and Romania. Five to six now, South Africa. So they are favourites, which, uh, which would mean that they are now favourites in the Ireland match as well. Uh, it was Ireland favourite by a point, but I, I assume based on this now that that has changed in the, in the last day or two. So five to six, South Africa. Ireland are 11 to 10. Scotland are 10 to one to top the group. Obviously, they'd be a lot shorter to get out of the group. Um, and I'll run through those prices as well in a little, in a little bit. But uh, we'll concentrate on who wins the actual group now. Um, I guess it, it boils down to South Africa, Ireland. So I'll, I'll come back to you, Gav. I, I, I heard a great point recently that one of the reasons that people think that South Africa should be favourites is that Ireland's kind of game plan is quite intricate. And in the last 20 minutes, everything has to go right, like it did, say, against France in Lansdowne Road. Whereas South Africa is in the main, we all know what it's going to be and its power we're going out there and bully you. And it's much easier to send someone out to bully someone than it is to maybe be in cricket. Do you agree <laughs> with that? I do agree with it. I'm not sure of the extent to which it applies to this game because I do think there's a lot of nuance to how South Africa play as well, particularly when you have Manny Libok at 10 uh, as opposed to Andre Pollard where I think at that point, yeah, they would probably more closely resemble like the, the Razzie Erasmus team and Jack Nienaber team that Munster fans would have watched, but equally that South Africa fans would have watched win a World Cup four years ago. I think Libok, you couldn't shackle him and, and sort of... Uh, ascribe a structured game to him necessarily because he is he's got that little bit of Freddie Michelak to him where he's just gonna or Carlos Spencer he's got that soul to him like it's why we love watching the game watching guys like him and he'll go off script a little bit but I, I also just think that the perception of of these two teams ahead of their November test was that if Ireland can survive that sort of physical onslaught from South Africa's pack, then it'll, it'll be a box ticked on Ireland's journey that they hadn't necessarily proven that yet. And mm. bear in mind, they hadn't played France yet who would provide a similar challenge in the subsequent Six Nations. And Ireland did pass that test and they won that game in Dublin, but like only barely. Very know? much. And they had a, I was there that day. Yeah. It, it was quite a spectacular atmosphere. Oh, unbelievable game so, of rugby. You know, which at the start of France is going to be amazing, but it'll be, it'll you, be split 50-50 yeah. and there'll be neutrals who are yeah. just there. I would just say, like, statistically at World Cups, there are fewer penalties given. Refs sort of tighten up, get a bit nervous. And that's where I think the Marnie Libok won. He's a baller and he could open up He could open up uh, an attacking shape for South Africa that could cut anyone to, to, to bits. But goal kicks... In this, this that game's going to be tight. There's going to be fewer penalties, and I think it could just come down to that. The other, the, the other matchup I'm really interested in is just going to be Andrew Porter and Franz Malherbe. Can, <laughs> can Porter contain that? Because that that's where they're going to draw a lot of energy from. But I think I think Johnny Sexton back in back in the team, fit and firing, kicking goals. I think that will, will make the difference. So I, I guess look, did, we're not saying that Scotland won't get out of group. Although I think we might be saying it to be honest. Mm. But in terms of winning the group, it's obviously we feel right now it's whoever wins that South Africa Ireland game so, so Tim it, it, the handicap's like one point like who, who are you who are yeah, you coming down on at the moment for that reason I'm coming down on Ireland I I've got more confidence in their fundamentals oddly which is a bizarre thing to say about South Africa the, the ruck speed Ireland play the shapes they've got they're, they're just so the hive mind is there and 
I just think the the the, the final five percent, those nuts and bolts, a guy like Johnny Sexton is actually the kind of guy that's going to bring home a win. Marnie Libock could carve up Scotland and they win by forty points in that one, but when it really counts, I think that's where South Africa are going to be caught wanting. I like that hive mind. Mm. Let's remember that. Remember that one for the pub, and everyone will be really impressed <laughs> by that. Uh, how do you see it going, Gavin? It's, it's, uh, everyone's on the street. Like you're going to have, uh, you're going to have like three weeks of people stopping you and asking who's going to win that game. Hope you're ready. I'll be stopping and asking people myself, just <laughs> in palpitations, like what's going to happen. Uh, I, I'll be very simple in what I think about it. If Dan Sheen is fit and plays in that game, I think Ireland win it by a score, and that could be a point. And if Dan Sheen was unavailable, I would say South Africa probably win that game mm. by a score. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think Dan Sheen is a five-point player as in he's worth five points on a scoreboard where other players just aren't i think he's that good and and i really think they're two evenly matched teams two brilliant teams uh, i would agree with tim that ireland's fundamentals and and the principles on which their game plan is are uh, is built um are fractionally stronger but i would then flip that and say south africa's players are fractionally physically stronger i think that's and, and one little mention for tonga who haven't they could yeah. they could have the casting vote in this because they're also in the pool i think they may have the casting vote because they're going to go and try and bash up their opponents so they <laughs> squad is they're going to take names they're going to take some names they're going to take some names so you know if, if, if a guy like um like dan sheehan or whatever someone important to a team a tiger burn got got a little knock against Tonga that that could be massively we influential so they, they, they're, they're going to have a role to play in this pool very interesting yeah uh, before I, I get you on on uh, C group pool winner C I don't know why I C group that was weird um, Johnny Sexton pre South Africa game how much game time does he get uh, I would say uh, I'd say you probably give him an hour maybe in one of those games that you would expect to win just to get some start or come on I I I could see him starting for and playing an hour just to grease the wheels. It's been too long. Worried about him playing against Tonga. Well, (laughs) to be honest, I'd probably give him Romania. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'd give him Romania. uh, Sit him out there. He'd be he'd be out stretching for about half an hour during that. Oh, you want me to go on? I don't know. It's a bit tight still. (laughs) I think he'll get minutes. I do think he'll get. I mean, he'll need minutes. That's the reality. He does need minutes. Uh, But the extent to which the thing is as well with Sexton. He doesn't tend to be especially rusty when he comes back from a six to eight week sort of a layoff. Well, he should be used to it because he barely plays for Leinster. <laughs> it's a conversation for another day. Now, but, <laughs> uh, but no, but in fact, you're right. Like in the sense that he's virtually always fresh, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah. he, the thing is this time around, he, well, he was injured to a degree at the start of his, well, going back a couple of months now, he had a facial injury. But um, with this suspension, like he's just been twiddling his thumbs he's been training away he should be raring to go the, the thing is the variable is that he's 178 years of age and you just don't know the extent <laughs> to which sometimes you can grow old overnight that's always a fear with an athlete like sexton but one thing i'd say about ireland's game plan is that these days it's less predicated upon sexton's athleticism uh, and he's able to manage the game without quite taking on so much physical work he had himself. some whales in the six nations got to give him he credit there was that one little arc wasn't yeah, there yeah he did yeah. Still got yeah. it. Yeah, well, they, we love a wrap around. Uh, pool where C, Australia, Wales, Fiji, Georgia, and Portugal. Oh, <laughs> one for the purists. Uh, Australia are obviously odds on favourites to qualify or to win the group, odds on to qualify. Wales, 12 to 5. Fiji, 11 to 1. Georgia, 150 to 1. Portugal, 500 to 1. I, I guess, Tim, maybe this is the group that the price is not really giving credit to some of the teams in it. Yeah, I think you could argue that. And, and 
in terms of Australia have got some like world class they've got a couple of players that would challenge for a world 15 but they've got a lot of average players besides Fiji equally have got a couple of players that would make a world 15 and a lot of unknown quantities but the fact they've now got a a team that's playing in super rugby they're a lot more cohesive um, we're hearing and seeing that their set pieces are, are stepped on usually the weaknesses for Fiji aren't quite the weaknesses they were so I think I'm, I think Gavin was on something when he said they are yeah probably un, maybe underpriced in terms of a pool winner I'll get their I'll get their price on the qualify now um, in a short period Gav are you surprised Australia are so, so short is it just because Wales are bad and Fiji are probably not like a team that are going to put up too much of a fight to a, a more rigid Australian side? I think it is largely down to the fact that Wales are so bad at the moment. Uh, Australia, even under Dave Rennie, Australia weren't dreadful when they were losing games. They lost a lot of one-score games or games that crept away from them in the final quarter. And I actually thought Rennie had serious potential there he'd never lost the dressing room despite the fact that the results weren't great he probably had lost uh, vast portions of the already diminishing Australian rugby union public and that's ultimately what cost him his job because there's commercial implications to that as well so you bring in somebody like Eddie Jones where well this is big news everybody is at least going to watch the rugby world cup in Australia now which genuinely would not have been the case otherwise but I look at Australia as being a team that are like sorry, I would have seen them before Jones named his squad as being a team that actually had the capacity to click at some point and go on a run in a tournament like this where they reach a semi-final or even a final and you'd actually have them live dogs by the end of it because of the talent that they had. Uh, it was almost as though they just needed to like string together a couple of wins, say win a couple of those rugby championship games and suddenly the, um, I guess the psyche of the team just transforms because I thought they were pretty close. Now I look at their squad and there are so many uh, surprises in uh, the squad that Jones has named. I, I sort of don't know what to expect from them now. Mm. Uh, I still think, I look at their squad and I still think it's a far stronger squad than Wales's. And I, I still think absolutely that they'll beat Wales. But I genuinely think both Australia and Wales are a little bit vulnerable to Fiji. I think Fiji could be kryptonite for Wales, the way they play the game. And again, without being really sure of what we're going to see from Australia... I just actually think Fiji are a far more settled team than Australia coming into this tournament. Um, I think it's a great... You said it's a, a pool for the purists. I actually can't wait for that pool, to be Fiji honest. Well, maybe the I'm the purist. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but, yeah. But you look like, you know, we haven't mentioned Georgia. Like, you, you couldn't go as far as to say they're a coming force, but certainly they're a, a force to be reckoned with. They're not like... It's not a gimme game anymore. If they were in Ireland's pool, it's a game where you'd be like, you'd have to be careful how many players you rest for that or how you bo- go about that game. And as I say, they only beat... Wales very recently so if you're Warren yeah. Gatlin going into that right, game as, as cruel as it is and it, if you're a Scotland fan or an Ireland or wh- whichever one of those five top teams in the world go out the World Cup has thrown up some incredible pool games and in pool C and, and to a lesser extent D a real potential story bubbling isn't it it could be the story of the World Cup yeah. I, I, I think it could be I think it could I, like I just have a feeling that Fiji have a scalp in them Looking at those top two, it's obviously more likely to be Wales. And they have history, obviously, of beating Wales at Rugby World Cups, although it doesn't really matter. Like, it kind of annoys me sometimes when people bring history into it, as if, yeah. as I'm about to do when we talk about Ireland making a quarterfinal. But uh, <laughs> it's, I just, yeah, I think they have the talent, as Tim says, to to shock somebody. And like, the, the beauty of the competition is if you shock somebody, you're pretty much through to a quarterfinal, you know. And yeah. um, uh, you look at the way, like, like, 
Samo, who, who we might chat about, well, probably not, but they've been sort of quietly building over the last couple of years. Fiji, have, I, I would say, been loudly building. I, I think they're... I could see them announcing themselves as maybe going beyond Fiji teams of the past and becoming almost like the Japan of the previous World Cup. Who we're about to talk about. Pool winner D, England, uh, odds on. 1-2, Argentina 6-4, Japan 25-1, to one, Samoa 225-1, to one, and Chile are 500-1. to one. Uh, Again, it comes down to, in terms of a winner, not necessarily to qualify, but which Just again... Day I'll one. The pool, the pool is... Yeah. The pool is... This is much less interesting in the sense that Japan, if they'd have been following the trajectory of the last two World Cups, this could have been exactly the same as we were just talking about there. But they've seemed to have dipped. Some are probably four years off from being where Fiji are now. So I actually think, boring answer, but the pool is done on day one. In what way do you see it going? Oh, well, we discussed it a little bit earlier. I see Argentina as favourites so and I, I see them as pool winners. If... England were to meet Australia. Now, we haven't seen the groups, obviously, but if it was to come out like that, what way would you think that would go, England-Australia? So, I obviously, the pool's kind to England. The, the draw's kind to England. I fancy us against Australia or Wales. Love the storyline of both of them. Old rival uh, or Eddie Jones and... In World Cup quarterfinals gone by, again, history counts for nothing, as Gavin says. But <laughs> for whatever for whatever marginal amount that counts, it's just England beat Australia and they beat Wales in quarterfinals and didn't beat them in the, either of them in the pool in 2015. I've, I've blotted that one out of my memory. But, um. but you know what? Just to go back to the point you made earlier as well about so many of the England squad currently having reached the World Cup final already yeah. four years ago, the Wales and Australia squads are really unseasoned by comparison and if you're like when you're talking about knockout rugby you have guys who might have a little bit of muscle memory yep. from four years ago yep. in white and the uh, the wallabies and the welsh it's uncharted territory for a lot of those players it makes a big difference yeah i think it does okay uh just on on some of the stuff that uh, you were speaking about there uh fiji are 12 to 5 to qualify for the uh, quarterfinals scotland are 4 to 1 Japan are twelve to one. Samoa are seventeen to one, and it's twenty fives far. So uh, a lot of odds on shots. Obviously, some of the bigger nations are completely odds on shots. To, like to I, that. I would flip Samoa and Japan personally. There, like they beat Japan relatively recently. Yeah. Uh, there was a red card to, to Japan in that game, but I would have said that just based on Japan's trajectory, which sadly has completely reversed compared to the last World Cup, uh, I would have said like Samoa would probably give. England and yeah, Samuel will probably give England a better game than than Japan and the same with Argentina. Okay. I think that would be a really good opportunity just to mention that we will be doing another one of these podcasts um, and that will be after the group stages. We'll have a little chat about, so we'll be able to look back on what we spoke about and obviously we'll know the whole lineup all the way through that at that stage. But for now, right now, a couple of a week and a, well, two weeks out from the World Cup, let's talk about who you think will actually win it. <laughs> Which is a very <laughs> tough question, but I'll take a winner. Kind of a, I mean, I, I think with a tournament like this, sometimes when you do these previews, you say dark horse, or like, which you can't really say because really outside of 10 teams or eight teams, you can't really see anyone else winning it kind of thing. So it's not really a dark horse, but it's like, you know, who you think will win it, who you think will go close, maybe. 
and then one who you you're not really for, which I think Wales might come into something like that. <laughs> kind of but uh, Tim, first, first give me all, give me who you think will will win it. And I know it's a very tough question, yeah. kind of thing. But who do you, who right now who are you thinking? If I gave you a tenner, who would you stick it on? I would be sticking that on France. I there's part of the romance of it. I want to see a new name on the Web Ellis Trophy. If it cannot be England, I want to see a new team on it. And I'd be quite happy as a couple of Irishmen you are for that to be Ireland. I think it'll be France. They've, I want to look at it. They've got the best player in the world. They've got the best domestic league. And I talked about how there's a lot of things that feed into a team arriving at a World Cup in top form. They've got the, the best kit, the stashes, <laughs> on point. And they've got, they've got that passionate French home crowd, which I think, I think they will win. I think on the 28th of October, they'll be lifting the trophy in Paris and that'll be an all-nighter. Gav? Agreed. For all the reasons that he said. Honestly, I couldn't have put it better. Mostly the stash. <laughs> Pretty much. No, like, no honestly, I, I said at the top, I, I think home advantage is a massive thing. You think back to 2011 and, and actually the pressure that New Zealand were under in those circumstances and they wound up beating France in the final, but they got it done. And great teams get it done, particularly at home. And I think this France team is a great team. I think this New Zealand team has the capacity to become a great team. It might be the team of the next World Cup cycle, leaving aside the fact that France, as a sort of a, a talent-generating machine, is about to overtake, I think, has already overtaken all of the other countries and might get to a point where it's overtaken them combined, just given the, the playing population and resources. Uh, I think it's France's World Cup, and I think they will beat New Zealand in the final. I think, I think it, do you know what I, I, can I also say I think just we're all rugby fans first and foremost and rugby less so in Ireland but certainly in England it's, it's had a tough old time and rugby around the world's had a tough old time it would be an amazing story for a, a nation that's done the work that they've done and followed the path that they're on and with a global superstar much like Sia Khaleesi four years ago Antoine Dupont someone that you can carry the, the, the game he can carry the game on his shoulders for the next foreseeable and I'm interested to know what you think I mean because you said Dan Sheehan's a five point player how many points would you put on having Antoine Dupont switching him from one team to another he's got to be worth a couple of scores hasn't he yeah he's just like on a, his own he's like uh he reminds me of in Super Mario Brothers when you get the star <laughs> and you just <laughs> obliterate everything in your path uh, you know one of the most remarkably strong men for his size that I've ever seen in professional rugby it makes no sense at times what he does you think of him holding Mac Hansen back as Hansen reached across the line. But but DuPont does things like that around the fringes of the breakdown all over the pitch in games that might go unnoticed. But like he's superhuman. He's dynamite. And it's a great point that Tim makes about there being a poster boy for the sport globally. A guy that will actually transcend rugby where if people in America or uh, Madagascar, wherever in the world, are scrolling through Twitter and they're seeing um, via osmosis, you sort of consume viral clips of moments from different sports, right? Like yeah. we might see some unbelievable home run in baseball if we, even if we don't follow baseball. And you would hope the same is true of this Rugby World Cup where sports fans around the world who might be um who might be liable to check rugby out one day will be exposed to the brilliance of Antoine Dupont doing what he does best and doing things that we can't even actually conceive of on a rugby pitch he is the the flagship athlete in the sport and I'd love to see him reach households and phone screens and tv screens he, all over the world he's got goat potential hasn't he I think he's there, to be honest I think he already is uh, like uh, so to be clear you need to have the CV to be proven yeah. officially yeah. stamped as the greatest player of all time. But I test greatest yeah. of all time yeah. for me, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, okay, so you both gone for France, I suppose. And as I said, it can't because like take out New Zealand, France, Ireland, South Africa, England, Australia. Uh, like this, who's if France were to be shockingly knocked out, who'd be next on the list? Well, is this the dark horse shout? You say it's a dark horse. Yeah, yeah. If well, there can it be such a thing. Pains me. Would. Pains me to say this. It really pains me to say it. But a dark horse for the tournament is England, which we, England should be arriving at World Cups not being con- anyone conceivably thinking of them as a, a dark horse but they are and and you talked about Ireland's schedule they can ramp up nice and slowly for those Scotland and South Africa games and then you're into the knockouts England don't actually have to play to their potential until a semi-final so we could, you could England could arrive at lose to Argentina play averagely and still beat Wales or Australia maybe Fiji and then two performances of what those players are capable of and they win a world cup and for that reason alone, I think I'm I'm holding up. I'm I've got a shred of hope left, and um, and I think it's justified when you when you look at it in that context. And for yourself, I think it's tough to see a dark horse beyond somebody reaching a semi final. And even at that point, I, I wouldn't say it would be a massive surprise. Say if Argentina got there, or if Ireland finally got to one, mm-hmm. like that certainly wouldn't be. Um, they wouldn't be considered dark horses by anybody outside of Ireland, right? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know that there's going to be a surprise deep into the tournament. But as Tim says, England could actually sleepwalk to a semi-final. And at that point, all bets are off. You, you get to a semi-final of Rugby World Cup. Yes, you might play vastly superior opposition based on results over the past four years or based on the tournament so far. But suddenly you might be playing opposition who've lost three, four, five key individuals that changes something like the scrum battle that might make their mall defense inexplicably weak all of a sudden and all bets are off is just uh you're you're into you know like it's proper knockout rugby and yeah. uh, so like wales australia england now i guess uh, or argentina they're, they're the, well it's just them it's whoever, you know? whoever whichever two of them are in a exactly final. but the thing is two of them are going to be there they so it's, it's hard to label them as dark horses either yeah yes yeah, and then uh, a team you'd probably like feel that might underperform shall we say wales possibly would be the pick to underperform uh, the thing is, if Wales went out in the pool or got knocked out in the quarterfinal, I would say that is them performing to par at the moment. So it would be harsh to, to label it as underperformance. But I, I, I don't want to say what my answer to this one would be. Well, I'm going to oh, say, go I'm on. going to say it. Go on, you we, say it, Gavin. That's fine. I, I, I mean, Ireland. There's every chance Ireland go out of the quarterfinals, which would be. Here's what will really annoy me about that: is that you'll have <laughs> people from outside of Ireland naturally laughing at the world's number one team or the team that was ranked number one in the world coming into the competition failing to break this historic duck and listen i would if the shoe was on the other foot of course i would find it funny so i don't begrudge them that at all what would annoy me though is that it will be labeled as an underperformance when in reality you're just meeting one of the other one of the other two or one of the other three best teams in the world in a quarterfinal at which point it's a 50-50 game. It could be the bounce of a ball. It could be, again, a couple of injuries. And that's just elite level sport. They're meant to be close games at this stage. So there's every chance that that happens to Ireland again and we become the laughing stock. But that's what you were going to say, was it? Yeah, and, it, and it's so cruel in when you look at it like that. But yeah, as, as Gavin says, that, that sport. And because they are, you can only look at them as, a, as, the, as the team that might underperform because they are coming in world number one. But as you say, Bounce of the ball. We haven't even mentioned a refereeing decision, and I hope we're not talking right. about. I hope we're not talking about See, we cards or referees. See, we didn't say anything about referee decisions. I hope we're not talking about a card or a referee. But um, but yeah, the, the, the margins are so fine that uh, I I just can't I can't see Ireland 
the, the seven games to win a tournament or the eight. Yeah, I just can't see. Yeah, it's a tough road. The five games in a row, the the Scotland, South Africa, quarterfinal, semifinal, Quarter final. Yeah. I mean, back to back to back to back to back. Yeah, but, uh, but, the, but for, I would say, yeah, like South Africa would have the same sort of. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't really like because they're like, oh, sorry, South Africa, excuse me, would, yeah. Um, but I also don't think they have it in them. That's the thing. So if you're like France and New Zealand are on the same side of the draw, I think they're, they have the capacity, each of them, to make a final and win it because they play each other first and then they can just rest, not rest on their laurels, but certainly taper off a little bit. And you're almost like into a, a second kind of a preseason, like where you're you're managing and conditioning for the knockout games where you yeah. still have uh, the majority of your pool games. Especially those two because they don't have a Scotland like South exactly. Africa and Ireland do. So if I can't see Ireland or, or South Africa winning it purely because of the schedule that Tim outlines. I don't think it's ever been done in a World Cup where you would have to have such a, a difficult road. And, uh, and I think it may prove insurmountable. Ultimately, you have 33 players and of course you can replace injured players. But like that's sort of a path to a final and winning it you're probably, I mean, there's going to be a lot of flights booked. That's the reality of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gentlemen, that's it. Thank you so much for that. As I said, we'll be back. We'll have another little conversation after the group stages and we'll see how things are going. But for now, thank you. And, 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 and money on France, it would appear. And thank you uh, for listening or for watching. And if you are listening to us, head on over to the new Betfair Sports YouTube channel. Uh, hit subscribe on that. There'll be loads of uh, football, golf, cricket, NFL, which we've just recorded a season preview about. That's all up there as well on our new Betfair Sports YouTube channel. So do subscribe to that. A reminder, of course, to please do gamble responsibly. Enjoy the Rugby World Cup tournament. We will be back and hopefully we'll all have big smiles on our faces. Thanks for listening or watching. Bye for now.